Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Dave, and you are listening to the Chase the Summit Trail Talk podcast, where not only is it a long name for a podcast, uh, it's really just me rambling. And welcome. Thanks for joining me. Today's episode is episode 43, and I've got a lot of topics to talk about in this one. Uh, apologies, I missed last week last week's podcast because it's been super busy. It's that time of year. New stuff is coming out. Lots of fitness tech and running gear coming out, and I'm trying to stay ahead of all of it, but I'm, I'm only human, so the podcast was sacrificed last week, and instead I'll be covering all the topics in this podcast today. So today I've got a little bit of everything. We've got some news from Koros. Today is October 27th, the time you're listening to this, and Koros just dropped the new Running Pod 2, or the Koros Pod 2, and I got to test it out. So I'll talk about that a little bit. We've also got some news from Apple uh, with the Apple Watch Ultra, and some interesting news from Samsung and a new device that they're making that may challenge some of the smart ring developers out there like Aura Ring. Okay, before we get into the good stuff, I do want to uh, thank the Patreon members and the YouTube members. If you're unaware, the YouTube members and Patreon members make this whole thing work by contributing a couple of bucks every month and helping me keep this microphone turned on. Um, As we move forward, I'm going to be doing more engaging things on the Patreon and YouTube member platform. I've just been trying to wait until there are enough people to really appreciate it. I really appreciate all the people who have signed up. And as we get closer to like a larger quantity, I'm going to start doing like live streams and things like that for only Patreon members and YouTube members. So that'll be a lot of fun. If you're interested in helping support the channel and the podcast, check out the link at the bottom of the show notes to sign up and I'll send you a free sticker. That would be great. Okay, moving right along. I also want to give you a, uh, give a quick shout out to the merch store where I sell my hats and my t-shirts and running shirts and buffs and all kinds of things. And right now you can get 10% off your order by using code LISTEN10 at checkout. That's only for podcast listeners. Hence the discount code being LISTEN10. I don't advertise that anywhere. That's just kind of a thank you for tuning in and listening to the podcast. Again, check out the link in the description or check out chasethesummit.com and click on the shop button. Okay, now that I've cleared my throat directly into the microphone, we're going to move into a little bit of the banter, what's going on with me lately. Um, So for the past couple of weeks, even in my last podcast, I think I was talking about being sick and man, I can't shake this thing. I, you know, I didn't have the, the dreaded cooties or anything like that. Um, I think I had the flu. I don't really know. That was like three weeks ago. And still to this day, I have like a, a little bit of a sinus infection. I'm wake up all clogged up every morning and it's really annoying and it's definitely taking a toll on my training as well. Uh, getting out and running is a little bit harder and even like my VO2 max on my Garmin has been dropping like crazy and it's driving me bananas. I've gotten to a point where my watch keeps telling me that I'm losing fitness and I'm strained and my HRV is unbalanced and I'm so sick of it. I stopped looking at it, actually turned off the morning report feature on my Garmin because um, I don't need to be reminded that I'm losing my fitness because I haven't felt well for the past few weeks. Uh, But I digress. You know, it is what it is. I'll be okay. Uh, But it's, it's really annoying. I don't, I really don't know what's going on. Uh, but yeah, we're closing in to the end of it. I'm taking my vitamins, I'm drinking my tea and feeling a little bit better. So hopefully in the next week or so, things feel much better. 
because next week we're actually moving, um, packing up the whole family again, all of our belongings, and we are moving yet again into our new house, and I'm very excited about that. We're only about a week away from moving into the brand new house, and uh, it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be a ton of work, and I don't know how I'm going to manage it with like new product releases and YouTube videos in my real job and moving and all the projects that are entailed with that, but... Well, we'll get by. You know, that's a real first world problem to have a new house to move into and all the projects. But it is what it is, you know? It is my first world problem. With that out of the way, we're going to move into the news. So, like I said during the intro, Koros, the GPS watch, multi-sport watch manufacturer, has released the Pod 2. And if you're unaware, Koros has had a Pod, a uh, running dynamics Pod, in the past, a couple of years ago, it came out a little thing that you clip to the back of your shorts and you go on a run and it gives you like advanced metrics like your stride length and your balance and things like that. That first pod, I didn't find a lot of value in, to be honest, because I didn't really know what to do with those metrics. It, it wasn't something that really applied to my training. Whereas this new pod has a few new tricks up its sleeve. Uh, this one actually will give you your instant pace, and it'll improve your GPS accuracy when paired to your Chorus watch. Now, there's a couple of things here. So the new Chorus Pod 2, it's 99 bucks. Uh, I do like the design. It's got a really cool, uh, it's like a light gray color, and it's got this really cool dock that it plugs into that charges it up. It's got 28 days of battery life. It's got 50 days in standby mode, and it turns itself on and off when you're not using it. It's a pretty cool design. Uh, and the pairing process is kind of cool too. So when you get the the pod, you pair it to your phone, to the Coros app, and through that, it automatically gets paired to any Coros watch that's paired to your account. It's pretty slick, I'm not going to lie. However, I've got mixed feelings about this. So the data that it does provide is pretty cool. I, I've had a chance to test it out for the past couple of weeks. My video about it went live today, but I figured I'd talk about it here as well. So this new pod provides metrics in two ways. You can wear it either on your shoe, kind of like the stride pod uh, on your shoelaces, or you can clip it to the back of your shorts like the old Chorus pod and get those other dynamic, like the running dynamics balance and things like that. My issue with that is that it's not totally clear when you take it out of the box which way you should wear it. Like as a pretty average dude myself, I'm definitely not like a running coach or anything. I'm I'm into the tech, but like, why would I need my balance or my stride ratio? And why, you know, why would I wear it on my foot rather than my waist? Uh, they're, they're just not very clear. There's like no guidance on how to wear it. It would be kind of cool if the if the app, like the Chorus app, asked you like, do you want to improve your running form or do you want to improve your pace and distance data and accuracy on your watch? Like, just ask, and then maybe then make a suggestion on how you should wear the thing. But they don't do that. So they just kind of leave it up to your own devices to figure out, you know, where if you should put it on your shoe or your waist. That's one thing. The second thing is the metrics that it collects aren't all that different than what you get from the watch directly. So if you have a Coros watch, you're already getting your your pace and distance and even running power from the wrist. And this new sensor actually doesn't support running power. The Pod 2 does not support running power, which is interesting because Chorus watches do support running power, but I'm pretty sure they ran into some sort of, you know, 
copyright thing or, or patent or something like that where they couldn't add running power to the pod without getting in trouble from another brand like Stride. And especially because they have a loose affiliation with Stride with their native running power support on Coros watches. This is all very complicated. But my point is, the information coming out of the pod is cool, like the instant pace feedback, the better the better GPS accuracy and distance. I just don't know if it's really worth it. Uh, however, it is affordable. It's 99 bucks. So if you do want a little bit, you want a little bit better pace data, you want a little bit better GPS distance data, and you are a Coros user, and you don't mind wearing a foot pod, it's an interesting device. It's really for the gadget person out there. But it's really not something you absolutely need. That's my takeaway on it, and that's kind of how, how I left it in my video. And then there's a whole other discussion on top of this pod, and it's that Coros has stopped developing running power as a whole. So the company has made a choice to no longer develop the running power metric to make it better or more feature-rich or more accurate. They're going to leave it where it is. They're going to continue to support it on their watches that already have it, but they don't plan to, to push it any further down the road. Just so weird to me because we've got companies like Apple with the Apple Watch. They just added running power to the Apple Watch, which like single-handedly validated that running power is a metric people care about because Apple's a huge company. When they make a decision, it's a well-thought-out decision. So Apple has running power now. Garmin just added wrist-based running power to their devices with the Epix Gen 2, the Phoenix 7, even my 955 uh, that I've been wearing for a while just got running power in a full firmware release uh, like yesterday. So it's weird to see like everybody else on the planet, like all these other big brands saying, yes, running power is cool. We want to adopt it. And Coros being like, well, let's do something else. So now Coros has a brand new metric that's not really new that they're calling effort pace. And what it really is, is grade adjusted pace with a new name. And if you're unaware of what grade adjusted pace is, it's basically a, a determination of your effort uh, on varying terrain. So if you're running up a hill at a 10 minute pace, your effort's going to be higher than if you are on flat terrain at a 10 minute pace, right? So effort pace will translate your effort into what that imaginative, like what that figurative effort would be. So a 10 minute pace on a 20 degree slope might be a seven minute pace. And that's what effort pace would be and what grade adjusted pace already is. So on Strava and the Garmin platform and Sunto and everybody else, they've got grade, grade adjusted pace already. That's a metric that people are using. But Coros took grade adjusted pace, gave it a new name, and now they're trying to make, they're going to, they've made promises that it's going to get better down the road. Right now, it's just great adjusted pace, but they've said in their documentation in the marketing that down the road, this new metric is going to take in other factors, like even environmental conditions. Like the, so the Chorus Pod 2 has a thermometer on board. So theoretically, they may uh, take the the ambient temperature of your envi environment while you're running, say it's a really hot day, for example, and then effort pace would reflect your higher effort because it's really hot out. And so the effort pace would be lower, right? And the same goes for other factors, like your your personalized information, your age, your weight, things like that. They've made promises that they're going to make it better down the road. But right now, 
It's just great adjusted pace with a new name. So I have mixed feelings about that. I'm, I'm hopeful that this becomes a useful tool because at the end of the day, I don't care if you call it running power. I don't care, care if you call it effort pace or, or magic pace or banana pace, whatever, okay? Just make it useful. If it's a useful tool for me, then I will adopt it and use it in my training. And I don't care what the name is. Uh, that said, I do like running power and I do think it's valuable. And it's kind of sad that they decided to not do it anymore. They're still doing it, like it's still on the watches, but it's just strange that they went this direction. Anyways, that's the Chorus Pod 2 and the big news with the effort pace from Chorus. 99 bucks, you can get it today. I'll have links in the show notes for all this stuff as usual, but yeah, I'd like to know what the listener thinks about that. Let me know. Let me know on Instagram. Comment on my my latest Instagram post about the pod too and let me know. Okay, moving right along. The next topic is the Garmin Forerunner 945 LTE. This is a big deal. So the Forerunner 945 LTE, as of today, got an official firmware update from Garmin to release a whole bunch of new features to this watch. And the 945 LTE is not a very new watch. It came out last year. Uh, It's a really cool watch. It's the only watch on the Garmin lineup that has cellular LTE built in. Uh, Not like the Apple Watch, like you're not making phone calls on it, but you can send text messages uh, using the emergency feature. You can share your location and things like that without your phone. Uh, So pretty, pretty interesting watch as a whole. But Garmin just did a firmware update. They gave the 945 LTE a firmware update. It was in beta for a while, and now it's officially released. And this adds a few things. First up, you get training readiness in this firmware update. You get the race calendar widget. You get HRV status. You get the morning report feature, which I just talked about. You get the new training status. And you get daily suggested workouts, uh, which were all previously relegated to the newer watches like the two four, the 255, the 955, the Phoenix 7, the Epix Gen 2. Now the older 945 LTE gets all these new features, which is pretty awesome because the 945 LTE is a great watch. And even though the name implies it's like a generation old, it's so unique that it's like a 955 minus kind of, but it's the only one with the, with the cellular built in. So it's kind of cool. And another thing about the 945 LTE is that nowadays you can find that thing on sale pretty inexpensively as compared to something like the 955 and you get cellular and it's got a good heart rate sensor. So, and you get mapping and all that other stuff that comes on the nine series. So I thought that was worth mentioning. I'm, I'm really happy to see Garmin adopting this firmware strategy of giving older devices new features because for a while there, they didn't do that. They really just kind of did the bare minimum to keep the, keep them up to date, but they didn't give everything to the older older device. That still happens, like the Phoenix 6 didn't get all these new features. However, it did get HRV status, which is a nice touch, but it didn't get everything else. So they're still drawing a line somewhere, but at least the 945 LTE got this stuff. I'm happy to see that. Next up in the news, we've got uh, news from nothing. <laughs> If you don't know what the company Nothing is, they make uh, phones, smartphones, and they also make earbuds. And they've got a new set of earbuds called the 99, called the Ear Stick, not the 99. That's how much they cost. So they're called the Ear Stick. 
They're 99 bucks, and they, they, they compete directly with something like the Apple AirPods. These things are totally crazy looking, though. The earbuds themselves basically look like a little robot arm with like a, a white nub at the end of it. And the case itself is totally crazy looking. You actually twist it to open it. It's pretty interesting. So supposedly, they're, they've made the sound quality really good. They're supposed to be windproof and have a really good passive noise cancellation and seal in your ear. And they're supposed to have decent audio quality, good bass. You know, judging by, I'm just reading about it, so I haven't tried them yet. Uh, but they look really cool for $99 and probably a pretty good option in that price category. The one thing they don't have is ANC. So there's no active noise cancellation and in late 2022, I feel like every earbud kind of needs that to be competitive, but that's the choice they made to hit this price point of $99. So uh, pretty cool looking. I feel like I can't convey how cool they look. Well, they're cool looking, but they're kind of embarrassing looking at the same time. Like, I don't know if I want like a transformer arm hanging out of my ear. It's kind of what it looks like, but I suggest you go on Google and take a look and see what they look like. Pretty interesting. Next up in the news, I have a whole video about this, but I want to talk about it here. Apple Watch OS 9.1 has become available as of Monday this week. That was a few days ago. This introduces that new low power activity mode that Apple talked about on the Apple Watch Ultra in Series 8 back when the devices were released. So this new setting is a little bit confusing. You got to watch the whole video that I made about this. Essentially, there are now two low power modes. There's the original low power mode that basically just turns off the always on display and limits connectivity to your phone. So if you get a text message, your watch won't like immediately ding to, to tell you about that. It like delays the connectivity to, you know, maximize your battery life. And then there's this new low power mode that will reduce your heart rate and GPS accuracy in order to lengthen your battery life in a GPS activity. So if you're out on a run, and you use something like the regular low power mode, you can get about 17 hours of use in that mode. So a one continuous run for 17 hours with full GPS accuracy and heart rate accuracy. Now, if you turn on this new low power mode with the reduced accuracy, you will get up to 60 hours of battery life. That is a crazy amount of battery life. And you could do a multi-day multi, multi -day stage race you could do a couple of hundred miles back to back. I mean, that's a lot of battery life in way more than any other device on the market, including a Garmin. Uh, well, not not some Garmin's like the Enduro 2 or Phoenix 7. 60 hours of battery life is a lot, right? And of course, those other brands do have their own version of this by reducing accuracy. Garmin calls it Ultra Track Mode. Coros calls it Ultra Max Mode. They're all ultra, and the Apple Watch Ultra calls it low power mode reduced accuracy, which is kind of the worst name ever. Anyways, this new setting, I tested it, and it does, in fact, improve the battery life by a huge margin. In my testing, I was seeing like 60 plus hours of use on a single charge, which is kind of crazy. However, like with anything, there are sacrifices. This one, you reduce your, your accuracy by a huge margin. So the heart rate accuracy is sampled every one minute. So you get a heart rate reading every one minute during your activity versus one second in regular mode. And then in GPS accuracy, you get a sample every two minutes. So if you imagine running, you're only updating your position on your GPS track every two minutes, which can be a problem if you're 
on a trail with a bunch of switchbacks or you're in a neighborhood that's really windy and you run really fast, it's not going to pick up everywhere you just went. Now, to mitigate the accuracy problem, Apple has done some magic, as Apple does with everything. They've introduced some algorithms and AI and computational stuff to make the accuracy better. And in some cases, it does work. Like on a road run, uh, they actually use Apple Maps data to improve the accuracy, even though even though they don't they don't know where you you went. They can use your gyroscope and compass data and the GPS pings that they're getting and then combine that with Apple Maps data to paint a better picture of your activity. And it actually does work. And in my testing, on a road run, it's actually pretty decent. I mean, the track is still awful. <laughs> like by today's standard, any GPS watch in any mode would beat the crap out of it. But it's still like, it gives you an idea of where you ran. The pace is somewhat accurate. Um, so it's okay there. But when you're on a trail run and they don't have Apple Maps data for where you are, it's horribly bad. Like your your GPS track is borderline useless. So why did they roll this out if it's borderline useless? Well, if you're a hiker or a backpacker and you're not like super, if you're if you're traveling at a lower rate of speed, you know, one, two miles per hour, and you get a, a location update every two minutes, probably not the end of the world. Plus, in that situation, you're probably not really interested in like nitty gritty accuracy of your GPS track, right? So I could see it being valuable for trekking, through hiking, backpacking, you know, all those situations. But if you're like a trail runner or a fast packer or a road runner, it, I don't find it to be as useful. So there's that. One more quick note about the Apple Watch Ultra that I found to be somewhat newsworthy is that the Apple Watch Ultra the most expensive $800 USD one is on sale for the first time. You can actually get $20 off your Apple Watch Ultra on Amazon. I don't know why. It seems like a mistake. But um, yeah, I'll link that in the show notes down below if you want to check that out. Okay, next up in the news, we've got some interesting smart ring news. Now, I find smart rings to be really fascinating because... They're like, it seems like the next hot, like the next hot item in the fitness realm is going to be smart rings because they're tiny. There's so much technology crammed into like a tiny little thing on your finger and they get out of the way. So if you don't like wearing watches, a smart ring is a really nice investment because you can get all of that, you know, wellness data and get a good picture of your health and your sleep and stuff just by wearing a little ring. It's pretty darn cool. Now, obviously, the smart ring market has been dominated by Aura Ring. They have sold over a million rings. They're doing well. I, I can't believe it because they have a subscription model, six bucks a month to access your data, which a lot of people complain about, but a lot of people do sign up for them, their ring, because it's a good product and their app is nice and it all, it works well. I've used it. I like it. Uh, I don't love the subscription model, but that is what it is. With that said, there are new contenders coming to the market. First, we've got the Circular Ring, which is a product I've already reviewed on YouTube. That product, the Circular Ring, is in its infancy right now. And they're selling them, which is not a good combination. So I definitely ran into some issues with mine. They've since replaced my Circular Ring, and I'm, I'm actually working on a follow-up video about it. It's an interesting product. It has promise, and there's no subscription with Circular Ring. That's them, right? But now we've got two new contenders coming to the market. 
first of all, is Ultrahuman. Now, Ultrahuman is a brand that's mainly focused on blood blood glucose monitoring. They have like a patch you can wear and monitor your glucose throughout the day, which is pretty cool. There's a bunch of companies doing that that now, like Levels and um, I forget the other names, but there's a lot out there. They're, they're developing their own version of a smart ring that'll collect HRV, sleep data, and it'll actually allow you to you know, strength train and run and do stuff like that, along with tracking your metabolism, which is unique because not many other devices do that. The screenshots of the ring uh, look really nice. It's low profile. It looks really nicely made, uh, similar to an aura ring. And that was a a big problem I had with the circular ring was that it's plasticky and kind of cheap feeling. This ultra human ring looks really nice. So far they're on Kickstarter for $223. You can, you can back them. That'll get you a ring. Uh, obviously when they're fully funded right now, they do have 2000 backers and they've raised $470,000 for this particular product, which is, you know, not nothing. That's a lot of money. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty interested to see where this goes. Uh, if they can pull this off, they, they start making them. Hopefully it's not vaporware, uh, but the app and the product itself look really nice. So I'm interested to see where that goes. The next smart ring I want to talk about is from Samsung. Yeah, you heard me right. So the people who make the Galaxy Watch, the Galaxy Watch 5 Pro, the Galaxy S22 Plus, whatever, smartphones, TVs, they make everything. They make cameras, they make, I think they make microphones. I'm looking at a microphone, so I said microphone. Uh, They're now planning to get into the smart ring market. This is all speculation, by the way, but there has been a patent for a Samsung smart ring that's been published somewhere. I forget where I got this information. I took the note down to my phone. Uh, But apparently, they're they're hiring third-party people third-party companies to consult and help them develop a smart ring. So that seems pretty interesting. And reportedly, it looks like it'll track your sleep patterns, heart rate, have ECG, and other health-related metrics, quote-unquote. I should probably have a source for this, but I forgot to write it down. (laughs) But I'm sure you could Google it and find evidence about it. So I'm really interested to see what, you know, Samsung, this monster of a company, what they do and it makes me wonder if Samsung actually did this and they came out with a smart ring that was like a health tracking thing, I would bet money that within a year of that product going live, we would see an Apple smart ring, the iRing, right? iRing, it's got a good ring to it. I, I got to drop a badoom in there somewhere. Wish I had that sound effect handy. Uh, so yeah, pretty interesting. Going to see, gonna, gonna see how this plays out. But right now it's just kind of a rumor. Uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to put on my, my future, my, my time machine hat on for a second here and say that that's going to be the next big thing on the market in the next two years, we're going to see smart rings pop up from every major manufacturer. Uh, I I bet we're going to see one from Apple, Samsung, Garmin, you know, they're all going to start hopping on that train as the technology technology advances as things get smaller. I bet we're going to see more smart rings on the market, which I don't think is a bad thing. Heck, I would buy a Garmin smart ring if it allowed me to like sleep without my watch on, because that's one thing I don't love doing, you know, to get your sleep data. I like having the sleep data, but sometimes I just don't want to wear a watch to bed. I can wear a ring to bed. I already do that every day. So 
you know, Garmin, if you're listening, I just gave you your next big idea. Final topic in the news today, not really a news topic, but kind of a kind of a question for you. For, for you, the listener who also tunes into the YouTube channel, do you only want to hear about fitness tech on the YouTube channel and podcast, or do you want to hear about other stuff? Here on the podcast, I talk about anything. Um, and specifically, I've been having a real challenge making videos about shoes lately for two reasons. Making shoe videos is very... It's very personal, right? Like one person can love a pair of shoes and another person can hate a pair of shoes. And that's where I, I struggle to share my opinion on a, you know, platform like YouTube is saying something's great or sucks is doesn't seem totally fair when it's all very subjective. So I've got like four pairs of shoes I've been wearing and I like all of them for different reasons. And I've been wondering if I should make videos about them, if I should, you know, if people even care so hit me up on Instagram and let me know, do you want to hear about shoes? And specifically, do you want to hear about the Ultra Mont Blanc Boa, the Hoka Mafate Speed 4, the Ultra Outroad, the Ultra Vanish Carbon, the Hoka, what's the other Hoka I've been wearing? Oh, the Tecton X and the Bondi. They're all great. I mean, I'm really enjoying a lot of them different ways, but I just don't know how to make content around them. So I would enjoy some feedback on that front. Okay, now with all the news out of the way and my little rant about shoes, we're going to dive right in to Q&A. So if you don't know what the Q&A section is and you're the first time here, I bet it's not. I bet you've been here before, but if it's the first time here, what I do is every week on Instagram, I post a story. And in that story, I have a little ask me anything text box thing, and you can send me a question through there. And when you send me a question through there, I write it down and I talk about it on my podcast. And that's what I'm going to do right now. So the questions you're hearing today are from a Instagram post last week. And I've got a lot of good ones here. And if you want to be part of the podcast and have your question featured and answered on the, on the podcast, go over to my Instagram, hit follow and wait for that in Instagram story. Or if you're impatient, feel free to just shoot me a DM with a question in it. And I'll try to get it featured on the podcast. That's fun, isn't it? some interactivity here. It's like doing a live stream, except I'm not live. All right. The first question comes from Ryan Col Colker. Ryan Colker. Uh, what was the largest hurdle when you got into running? What made it difficult? Um, when the first, the first thing, the first challenge I ran into when I wanted to start running was, uh, I guess embarrassment and shame. <laughs> That's kind of weird, right? So, I don't know. It just felt weird. My history with running is strange. I used to smoke cigarettes and I drank a lot and I was not a healthy person. And then one day I was like, I'm going to buy a pair of running shoes and lose weight and get, get myself in shape. And doing that was uh, very uncomfortable for me because it just wasn't my thing. And like at the time, my girlfriend, my wife now, she like laughed at me when I bought shoes. She's like, what are you going to do with those? So I guess, you know, she was supportive after that. I'm painting a picture like she wasn't supportive. She was, and, uh, you know, she's been very supportive ever since, and that's why I married her. But at first, she was, she thought I was wasting my money on shoes. Anyways, I'd say that the first hurdle was embarrassment, which is a weird answer, but I'm going to stick to it. Next question comes from msebert152. What does your typical day of eating look like when you're training for a big race like Vermont? So... 
my diet is probably not great. Um, I start, I'll, I'll tell you this. I start every morning with the exact same meal. I have either two eggs or like one egg and two egg whites. And then I put in uh, spinach and red pepper and some turkey bacon or turkey sausage or some protein. And then I make it into a wrap. I put it in a flaxseed wrap. And that's probably my healthiest meal of the day, like super high protein, get some veggies in there, some, pl- some flaxseed. It feels healthy. It tastes good. Put some hot sauce on there. I'm a big fan of hot sauce. Uh, but then after that, I just kind of, I do whatever. I, I try to eat as clean as possible, but a lot of times that will, you know, go out the window when, uh, you know, we're late for my kid's gymnastics class or soccer or something. We grab a pizza. I'm not super strict. But I guess the moral, like my moral is I try to just be very clean. I try not to eat too pro- too much processed stuff. Uh, I try to eat a fair amount of greens and things like that. But I don't really have a real strict diet that I stick to. The next question comes from Christos KR. Are you going to review the Sunto 9 Peak Pro? Yes, I am. Uh, mine is currently in the mail. I should have it very soon. And... I'm going to do a review on it. I'll probably do like an initial impressions video and then do a follow-up further down the road when I have more time with it. But from what I've seen, it looks pretty cool. It's a step in the right direction for Sunto. I still worry about Sunto uh, because they've made some questionable choices in the past. And I was hoping for a bigger update, like a Sunto 10 peak with like an OLED display or something really different or like mapping. That would be really cool. But the 9 Peak Pro does look pretty solid, well-built, good battery life, and from what I've seen so far, pretty good GPS accuracy. So I'm interested to try it out myself. Next question comes from Goodwin Instagram. What is your current shoe rotation? Well, I just talked about shoes a little while ago. Uh, Right now, I've been wearing the Hoka Mafates and the Ultra Mont Blanc Boas a lot on the trails, both shoes. I like both for different reasons. but the Ultra Mont Blanc Boas have really grown on me quite a bit. I love that Boa system, that lacing system. I got to do a video about those things. Uh, and for the road, I've been mainly wearing the Ultra Vanish Carbons. They're like a half carbon plate shoe. And they're like, I really like those shoes. Like great, great daily trainer, but also they feel really fast thanks to that carbon plate. Yeah, that's my ro- rotation right now. I've got a few others in there, like uh, the Hoka Bondi, um, I've got a, I've got a pair of Dynafit shoes that I just got, uh, that's a trail shoe, the Dynafit, I forget the model, but they look really interesting. I've only taken them out on like a little short jog so far, but Dynafit, if you don't know, they make like ski bindings and, uh, mountaineering boots and things like that. And they've made trail runners now that look really cool. But yeah, my main rotation is the Mafate Speed 4s the Ultra Mont Blanc Boa, and the Vanish Carbons. That's what I'm wearing right now. This question comes from one Brazuka. Koros or the Apple Watch Ultra? Question mark. Man, I've got I've answered this question so many times in the comments on the videos. Uh, there are two different animals, man. Uh, so the Apple Watch is an incredible experience, like a daily driver watch. Awesome everyday thing to have on your wrist. It's a, basically a phone. It can do everything. You can look at pictures from your text messages. You can 
make phone calls, you can stream music right to your wrist. It does everything. And it's got a pretty good heart rate sensor, GPS accuracy is on point, great display, great build quality. It's a good device overall. Downsides, it's Apple only, so it's out of the question if you're an Android user. And the battery life isn't that great. You get like two days out of it in regular use if you're running like an hour a day, probably two days, maybe a little longer if you're not somebody who uses the GPS every day. Uh, but the battery life isn't something to write home about. The Coros, on the other hand, is the opposite. It has almost no smartwatch features at all. In fact, I think all it can do is uh, show your phone's notification. So if you get a text message or something, you can read it on your watch. But you're not making phone calls on it. You're not downloading apps to a, to a Coros watch. It's got the memory and pixel display, so it's dull and not exciting to look at. But the Coros is going to be much more of a training tool than the Apple Watch will be. So you have to make a choice. You, you know, you can't have it all. Can't have your cake and eat it too. Apple Watch is by far the best smartwatch I've ever used. And the Coros is one of the best sport watches that I've ever used, especially the higher end ones like the, uh, the Vertex 2. That's a really, really nice watch. Next question comes from DP Gray. Are you still using the BioLite 750 headlamp that you made a video about a while ago? They came out with a new version. That's called the BioLite 800. It has 800 lumens. Are you going to be reviewing that? Uh, wow, I didn't even know that came out. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. And yes, I'm still wearing the uh, BioLite 750. I love that headlamp. It's a little heavy. It's a little bulky because of the big battery brick on the back. But the, what I love about that headlamp is the, the fact that it has a light on the back of it that flashes red. So when I'm on a road run, it's very visible. People can see me from the front and from behind and combine that with a couple of reflectors. You know, if you get hit by a car wearing all that, it's definitely their fault. So I like it because of that. However, I have been testing a couple of other headlamps that I'm, I'm working on a video about uh, from Nightcore. So they came out with a new ultralight series called the NU25UL, I think is the name, the model number. But man, it, they're super cool. Um, they're not like the most feature rich or bright or anything like that, but they're extremely minimalistic And the UL version, the ultralight version is basically just the headlamp with like a paracord elastic thing, like shock cord that you just tighten up to your head. And I find it, I really like them because it's something that I'll just bring with me just in case, like if I'm planning on doing like a 5k run at dusk and I know I'll be back before the sun goes down. Still, I could throw this in my pocket. It really is not something that burdens me to bring with me. And if I do want to stay out longer, now I've got a headlamp in my pocket. Another nice thing, another nice thing about these new ultralight versions of the headlamps is they make good backup headlamps. Like a lot of races require you to carry two lights. You know, one is a main, one is a backup. And these are perfect for that because they're so lightweight. They just get out of the way. Um, but yeah, I digress. I, I still like the BioLite 750. Like if I know I'm running through the night or I'm definitely going out at night or in the dark, I'll bring the BioLite because its battery life is crazy long and it's super bright. Uh, it's just a really nice headlamp. But these, these new Nightcore headlamps are great backups or like just in case kind of headlamps. Pedro Plexiova. Yeah, that's a really complicated username. I'm not going to try to read it. 
Pedro, that's how, that's what I'll say. Uh, what's your favorite sport watch at this very moment? The one you wear every day. That is so hard to answer because every day I seem to be switching what I'm wearing because it's that time of year where there's a lot of testing and new stuff happening. Uh, right now though, I think my baseline, what I keep going back to is the Garmin Foreigner 955. I don't know why it's lightweight and it's full feature. It's got maps. It's got all the stuff. It's got everything that Garmin offers in the Phoenix seven for the most part, just in a lighter, you know, thinner package still has great battery life. And I ran my last hundred miler with it. So I've been really enjoying the 955. Doesn't mean it's the best on the market. It's just what I've been wearing. So hope that answers your question. Okay, the next question, well, not really a question, but from Torbjorn HB, bring your wife on the podcast and talk about your race together. That's a great, great idea. I've actually talked to her about it a couple of times because it would be kind of fun to just like put a microphone in front of both of us and kind of just rant for a while, maybe after the kids go to bed or something. We just haven't found time to do it. Uh, but yeah, we've, we're actually planning another gr uh, joint run or little run project in November that I'm probably going to make a video about and we'll probably talk about on the podcast. So stay tuned for that. Next question from Parker Kurth. Crunchy or smooth peanut butter? Ooh, that is a good question. I'm going to go crunchy, my man. I'm a big fan of crunchy peanut butter and uh, specifically the Teddy brand crunchy peanut butter. Don't know why. I like it. And I like that the oil separates and I got to mix it in and do all that. Yeah, I'm all about that. Feel the need is the next question. Feel the need is the person who wrote the next question. We've seen your kids' Halloween costumes on Instagram stories, but what's your Halloween costume, costume going to be? Uh, my Halloween costume is going to be tired dad. Tired dad bod. That's what I'll call it. And it's just what I do every day. Yeah, no, kidding aside, I don't really have... I don't really have a Halloween costume planned. I'll probably just walk my kids around with a beer in my hand, or I, I probably shouldn't say that out loud because that's public drinking, right? Maybe in a koozie, maybe in a, you know, kid's sippy cup to disguise it. I don't know, but I'll be bringing them around next Monday, Halloween. It's going to be fun. Next question comes from Mohammed Reza. Reza, Reza. I don't know how you pronounce that, but I tried. What is the best beginner sport watch between the Garmin Foreigner 55, the Coros Pace 2, the Polar Pacer, etc.? You know, they're all pretty good in their own way. I guess the way I would look at it, um, you know, the, the beginner watches, they're all kind of similar in that None of them are like super full featured. They all have like okay GPS accuracy, things like that. I guess the way I would look at it is more like, what do you want to, what do you want to invest in? So imagine yourself a year from now, two years from now, and maybe you decide you want to spend four or five hundred dollars on a watch. And you know, at that point, you've already got this all this historical data in the platform. You're invested with your sleep metrics and things. It's all saved in there. So you may want to stick under the same umbrella, the same brand to, you know, keep all of that data. So I would look, look at it like that. What do you want? What platform do you want to invest in? And for me, uh, I would want to invest in Garmin or yeah, you know, Garmin and Koros are kind of 
the two platforms I'm liking more and more. Polar has a really good platform, but they haven't really updated anything in a while. Suunto is probably my least favorite platform, even though they're making big, they've made big developmental changes. Uh, but platforms as a whole, you know, I, I really like Garmin. They just, it, or maybe I'm just used to it. I don't know. So with that said, I would say the Garmin 455 is a good place to start, but that pains me to say, because I really like the Coros Pace 2. Like if we're just looking at the watches, I would take a Coros Pace 2 over the Garmin 455, but looking at the platforms is a little differently because I do like Garmin Connect a little bit better than the Coros platform, but they're both really good. So I don't think you'll be disappointed with your choice. I guess I'll leave it like that. Okay, next question is from Scott Norenberg. Have you re reviewed any waste lights for ultra running? Uh, no, I haven't formally reviewed them, but I have used them. I have a Nightcore waste light that I do like. It's got like two rectangular lights on the left and right, and then a battery pack in the back. It is super bright. And it's totally true that the waste light system is better when you're trail running because it casts a shadow on objects in front of you. So you get some depth perception and it makes things less likely to trip you up. Uh, however, I, I still wear a headlamp because I just find them to be less fiddly. They get out of the way a little bit better. It's just up on your head. You kind of forget it's there. So I keep going back to headlamps. But one product I've really wanted to try and haven't tried yet is the Kogala uh, waste light. That seems to be the go-to product for a lot of people for waste lights. I haven't personally tried one, but they look really nice. And, you know, maybe check that out if that's something you're in the market in. Kogala, they seem like they're, uh, they're making good products over there. Uh, Mikey in 6963, that's a long username, says, what's your go-to hydration strategy for a 100-mile ultramarathon? Uh, good question. So let me start this by saying this is very personal, and I would say don't do exactly what I do. Take this with a grain of salt. I'm not a doctor. All those disclaimers. Okay, let me throw those out there real quick. Uh, so I, my hydration consists of two things. I, well, three things, well, four things, four things. First up is going to be straight up water. I do leverage a lot of just plain old water uh, while I'm running long distances, but I also mix it up with uh, two, two particular powder products, powder products, it's hard to say. One is going to be Tailwind. Tailwind Hydration. It's a powder. It's got 300 calories per serving. And I really like the Naked Flavor, which is supposed to be unflavored, but it still has kind of a sugary, kind of a sugary sweet flavor. It's got, you know, electrolytes in it. It's got a good amount of sugar in it, and it tastes really good. It goes down easy. I don't tend to get sick of it, which is something that happens with other products. Uh, another product I really like, and actually a supporter of this podcast, is Liquid IV. In Liquid IV, it has a really good taste. I like the lemon-lime flavor. Uh, and another thing about Liquid IV is it's actually lower in calories. So Tailwind is 300 calories per serving. Liquid IV is only 50 calories per serving. So I can mix it up. If I feel like I need more calories, like I'm bonking, I'll go for, for Tailwind to try to refuel a little bit. But if I feel like I just need some salt and some electrolytes, 
I go for liquid IV because that's all it really is. It's like magnesium, B12, a bunch of electrolytes in sodium, um, and then a little bit of sugar, but not a lot in 50 calories. So it just gives you a nice hydration boost, whereas the tailwind is more of like a fuel. It's like more of a, it's got more consistency to it. But they're two different, they're two di very different things. I like, I like them for different reasons and I tend to alternate between them. So I don't go too heavy on either one. I'll do like tailwind, big serving of it. I'll do plain water to like you know, just use the tailwind for a while and then I'll bump it back up for my electrolytes with some liquid IV and then I'll repeat that again. But like I said, I actually use four products because in big races, I tend to drink soda. <laughs> so I really like ginger ale or ginger beer. I'll put that in my drop bag or I'll grab it at eight stations if they have it. Uh, ginger ale. And actually at the last, the last hundred I ran, I was mixing ginger ale with lemonade. I don't know why. I had, you know, ultra marathon runner brain and I thought it was a good idea and it was working. So, uh, yeah, I like ginger ale, soda, liquid IV, tailwind and plain water. That's kind of my strategy. And the final question is totally unrelated to running or fitness tech or anything, but I'm going to answer it anyways. This is from ultra running at 40 is the username. They ask, what gear do you use for your podcast and for your YouTube videos? Okay, so I love gear, and if you haven't noticed, my YouTube and podcast setup are totally overkill because I'm Captain Overkill and I spend all my money on, on content creation tools. So for the podcast, I actually have two setups. I've got my in-studio setup, which is a, um, a Rodecaster Pro 2. That's the recording console I use. It's a Rodecaster Pro 2 console, and then plugged into that, I use an Earthworks Ethos microphone, and that combination just sounds so good. But I'm actually not in the studio right now. I'm actually in my house in the basement right now. And I have a like a more of a portable system for this kind of setup. So what I'm using for this podcast is something called a Presonus IO24, which is a little two-input uh, audio interface. That's actually plugged into my MacBook Pro. And I'm recording into a software called Audio Hijack, which is just a like recording software that's really flexible. And the microphone I'm using right now is a Shure SM7B. And the reason why I use this microphone here and a different one in the studio is because the space I'm in right now is not sound treated. Like I don't have panels and sound blankets around me. So it doesn't sound uh, amazing if I don't have this kind of microphone because this microphone kind of rejects all that other ambient room noise and just kind of focuses on my voice. So yeah, SM7B, uh, Presonus IO24 and MacBook Pro. And in studio, I've got a Rodecaster Pro 2 and a Earthworks Ethos microphone. And I do some editing and some other software. Now for YouTube videos, it's a whole other can of worms. I use uh, mainly Sony cameras. So I've got a Sony FX3 uh, as my main A-roll camera. That's what you're looking at when I'm in studio doing reviews and stuff. And then the top-down camera I use is a Sony FX30. Two very similar cameras, like very high-end kind of consumer, prosumer. Uh, they're, they're expensive, but they're not like crazy astronomical expensive. And then I also have a Sony ZV-E10 and a Sony A7 uh, Mark IV or A7 IV. And I use the, the A7 IV more for 
like at home shooting my thumbnails or in the woods uh, when I'm doing like talking head stuff. And then of course, on top of that, I also use the GoPro Hero 11, some Insta360 cameras. <laughs> I get a lot of cameras. And then for audio for YouTube, I use a Rode NTG5 um, overhead shotgun mic that goes into the camera. And then on top of all that, you know, the whole room is sound treated. I've got a lot of lighting and things like that. And I edit everything in Apple Final Cut Pro. So that was a long-winded answer for a topic probably nobody cares about, but I do. So hope you hope that answered your question. Thanks for writing in. And that's it for the questions this week. I really appreciate everybody writing in. Uh, I, I enjoy these Q&A sections. I think they're a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy them. That's the end of this podcast, episode 43 in the books. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider hitting the five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That really helps me out, and it really brings visibility to the podcast. Another thing you can do is share this podcast with somebody else who's a runner or into you know fitness gadgets or even just like stories, because I'll tell those on this podcast as well. And finally, if you do enjoy this podcast, you can also, on top of just leaving a rating, you can write a little comment if it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That also helps me out. One more shout out. I want to thank all the YouTube members and Patreon members out there for supporting me. Your continued support really means a lot. And the final shout out is for the merch store. Again, if you want to represent Chase the Summit, get a Chase the Summit Ridgeline trucker hat. My favorite hat of all time. I wear it in a lot of my videos. I wear it for my own personal running. Made from a Boko hat. I've got a whole bunch of them in stock still. And on top of that, you can also get 10% off your order at chasethesummit.com slash shop with discount code LISTEN10 just for you podcast listeners out there. All right, friends, I hope you enjoy your weekend. I think this episode's going to come out on late in the week. So enjoy your weekend, get your runs in. And like I said, follow me over on Instagram and YouTube so you can follow what's going on and uh, you can write in some questions for the next Q&A. And you'll, uh, you'll hear from me next week. Thanks, friends. Bye.